Hello, and welcome to the Vineyard Bowling Green podcast, found exclusively on our Vineyard Bowling Green app. We hope you enjoy this week's message and look forward to seeing you this Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to move kind of quick um, because we got a little bit of a late start, but I'm going to move kind of quick. And in the book of John, um, in the Bible, we encounter one of my favorite stories. And uh, we see a story of a woman um, caught in the act of adultery and is brought before Jesus for judgment. And Jesus' actions on this day have a lot to teach us about the nature of relationships between mercy and justice. It teaches us a lot about the nature of the relationship between mercy and justice. So let's go ahead and put that up. Um, John chapter 8, 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. So to rephrase that, after spending the night on the Mount of Olives, Jesus arrives in the temple area and begins teaching the people who have been following him. And the scribes and the Pharisees bring before him a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. And the Pharisees and scribes begin citing Mosaic law to Jesus, which calls for the stoning of the woman. And they ask Jesus what his opinion on the matter is. And at first, Jesus says nothing, preferring instead to write on the ground with his finger. But as the scribes and Pharisees pressed for a response, Jesus famously said, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And one by one, the woman's accusers leave until the woman Till only the woman and Jesus remain. And Jesus asks her, where has everyone gone? Where's everybody at? She says, I don't know. They're not here. No one's here to condemn her. And then Jesus indicates he also does not condemn her. Then says, go and leave your life of sin. So what an awesome moment for the kingdom of God here. What an awesome moment for the history of the church. What a great display of who our God is. And I love it in this, mom, this, this monumental victory in Jesus shedding light on who God the Father really is right here in this moment. When Jesus says he is about his Father's business, this is the type of business that he is in the business of. This is it. This is the good stuff. 
And I love the way St. Augustine helps explain what is taking place in this great story. St. Augustine is one of the earliest theologians and church fathers, and he explains that the book of Psalms identifies truthfulness, meekness, and righteousness as characteristics of the long-waited Messiah. Truthfulness, meekness, and righteousness as characteristics of the long-awaited long Messiah. So Jesus the Messiah is to be identified as truthfulness, meekness, and righteousness. And the scribes and Pharisees in our story knew this, and I'd seen that Jesus exhibited all of these. They'd seen Jesus exhibit all of these. Truth as a teacher, gentleness and meekness as a protector. And in, the, and in the face of all of his followers, in the face of his enemies, in the face of these critics, Jesus, of course, shows righteousness. And these scribes and Pharisees were, were, were building this fight and building this case against Jesus. And Jesus has, has now shown up several times, and he's roughed them up a little bit, right? He's kind of outwitted them a little bit. He's had favor against them. And, um, and Jesus' reputation and his following is growing, right? And that's kind of setting off the, the scribes and the Pharisees. His impact is becoming more recognizable and identifiable as the Messiah and so that's kind of messing with the, the scribes and Pharisees here. And consequently, the, the scribes and Pharisees here were trying to trap Jesus into a choice between gentleness and righteousness, between mercy and justice. And they reasoned the law, they reasoned that the law commanded that the woman had to be stoned. And because it was the law of Moses, it could not end with anything unjust. That's really important here. They reasoned the law commanded that the woman had to be stoned. And because it was the law of Moses, it could not end with anything unjust. So if Jesus were to have mercy on the woman by arguing against her stoning, then he would be shown to be unjust and therefore unrighteous. And therefore, this would enable them to, to, to charge him with being against the law of Moses. But on the other hand, if Jesus were to agree with the law and her stoning, then Jesus would be shown unmerciful. Jesus would be shown unmerciful. And this would undoubtedly cause him to lose influence with the people that has been following him for such a long time as he was also loved and followed because of his influence of gentleness and compassion. And so, of course, the response of Jesus keeps both the demands of justice and mercy. And that's the awesome thing about this. He did not speak against the law by saying she should not be stoned. He didn't say that. Nor did he say, um, it, it, nor, nor did he say she should be stoned. So he didn't say she shouldn't be stoned and he didn't say she should be stoned. Instead, he put it back on the accusers by saying, let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. So he forces the accuser to look inward at their own guilt in violating the very same law. And I love the way St. Augustine again puts it. He says, hence, either let this woman go, either let this woman go, or together with her receive the penalty of the law. So think about that. Either let this woman go or together with her receive the penalty of the law. You can't pick and choose. 
That's what Jesus is saying here. He argues that the voice of justice says, let the sinner be punished, but not by sinners. Let the sinner be punished, but not by sinners. And this ultimately causes everyone to depart, leaving only the woman and Jesus. Jesus, the one without sin, the one who alone could cast the first stone. It leaves just she and him, the one who actually has the legitimacy to cast the stone. However, this woman receives mercy instead and receives a, a, a declaration, a challenge, right? With the repro- reproach to go and sin no more. And we see here the Lord certainly did not condemn the sin, but not the person either. Because the Lord is merciful and long-suffering, he allows us space for correction. But I just want to remind everyone of the truth and righteousness of our Lord. With our failure to expose the sin we are holding on to, the lack of repentance, the lack of exposing our sin, it will rob us from experiencing what this woman experienced. If we don't expose the stuff that's going on in our lives in repentance, it will rob us from a full experience of what this woman experienced. Now, she was caught. That's the trick. She was caught. But as believers, we aren't always so, I hate to even use the word fortunate, but we aren't always so fortunate. We don't get caught. And since we aren't exposed sometimes, we don't really allow Jesus the opportunity to show us his meekness, his gentleness, in how he approaches us and waits with us and and de-escalates our anxiety and fears about our circumstances, about our sins, about our past, about our issues. And since our lack of repentance, repentance also robs us from the righteousness reproach to go and sin no more, the charge and the truth that the voice of God carries in his wisdom to live in the same righteousness is really, I think, a lack. I think it's a void in our life sometimes. I think that can be avoided. We think of issues of past mistakes or maybe the lack of conviction towards a sin in our life and we feel like we have this void of righteousness, this void of gentleness in our healing. And unfortunately, many of us rob ourselves from this experience that the woman had. We rob ourselves from that. It's there, but we rob ourselves from that. And due to this, we are in danger of being deceived by conditioning ourselves in our mind that we may not need to experience the true power of repentance, forgiveness, and healing. And over time, we begin to perhaps loosen the reins on things. We loosen the reins on our desires, on our temptations, on our thoughts. And for me, the space for God's mercy and love and this is not, this is, this is really not like, a, you know, there, this is not a theological statement here and there's no really theological proof to this being true. But this is just what I was feeling at a certain time in my life whenever I started to really experience the mercy and the goodness of God's love. And so I started to grow that space. I started to grow that energy, to grow that, um, that resource of God's mercy and love so big that my space for righteousness and truth, it started to shrink and shrink a little bit. And I started to overlook little things in my life, little sins in my life, little issues in my life. And I was robbing myself real opportunities 
of transformation and being shaped and developed by Jesus because I started thinking, that sin in my life, it'll just go away on its own. In the meantime, I'm covered by the goodness and gentleness of God. In the meantime, I, God's mercy and his, 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 his meekness is so big, which is true, and it's absolutely correct, but I had this void of righteousness of how I viewed myself, this void of righteousness of how I really felt about myself. I was missing the charge from the truth and meekness of Jesus inspiring me to go and sin no more. And why do we rob ourselves from this? Why do we rob ourselves from this? And furthermore, why is this not one of the largest platforms to stand on for the church? Just the church in general. This is part of the good news. This is part of the really good stuff. This is part of the great move of God that not only will he not condemn you, but he releases you into a new way of life that shapes us and transforms us into a new way of life that is righteous, that is pure. But I think we do this for a few reasons. I think we do this for a few reasons and we're gonna go over three of them this morning. So number one, the first reason why I think we do this is we lose faith in the truth. We lose faith in the truth. We don't exercise the opportunity for the fullness of God to be experienced here and now. So you always hear growing up, right, that faith is believing without what? Without seeing, right? You always hear that. Meaning we have confidence in the results of something, whether it's guaranteed or not. We have confidence in the results of something, whether it's guaranteed or not. And despite the truth of Jesus in this story that we've read so many times, and despite the church is supposed to be a mirror and a reflection of that Jesus story, when it comes to our sin, we put more confidence. We still believe that when we expose our sin and confess our sin, we will see people with stones in their hands more than mercy and love. Rather than someone just patiently protecting us and encouraging us to go and sin no more, we still protect ourselves because we have this stone image in our minds. We have more confidence in faith in what, not, what is not supposed to be true. And I believe in the church, we have created a false narrative that has conditioned us to create a culture of fear without real repentance. We've created a culture of fear without real repentance. We have created a culture that teaches people to be afraid of repentance. And I read this story and I think, what do I have to be afraid of here? What do I have to be afraid of? The embarrassment of my peers, the embarrassment of my family, the embarrassment of my friend. Yes, and that can be absolutely real. But if we shift the culture and shift our response to sin like that of Jesus, we will shift the narrative that sin is actually not more powerful than the truth. We will shift the narratives that sin is not more powerful than righteousness and the gentleness of God. So with that said, number two, I think another reason we rob ourselves from this experience is we sometimes convince ourselves that our sin, it was something so bad that it's really something that should never be brought back up should never be brought back up. We have a reaction to the issue, to the mistake, to whether it, whether, whatever it is. 
that it's too painful and too emotional to bring that back up. And we don't necessarily think that it's too big of a sin for God to forgive, like us and God are okay, but maybe it's too big of an issue that one or two other people in my life may not be able to forgive me of. And one thing to that, real quick, if you feel like you have 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 talked to the Lord, you've repented to the Lord, and you have, and, and you you you're working things out with the Lord, you've worked things out with the Lord, and it's still something that is sticking with you, and you may feel like you have not really been healed or forgiven at all. Let me just confirm that you have been healed and you have been forgiven. You have been, but it can absolutely take a bit. It can be a bit of a process to feeling validated again, to feeling significant again, to feeling the freedom from what happened. And it takes great faith sometimes. Learning to let go of something for yourself often often takes more faith than you agreeing with somebody else. Giving grace to yourself is oftentimes way harder than giving grace to others. And I encourage you to seek counsel. I really do. I encourage you to seek counsel in a friend, myself, Jasmine, anyone here. And it bears repenting from this story that the mercy of Christ reveals. This is so good. It bears repeating that repeating from this story that the mercy of Christ reveals that the love of the Father here in this story is more primary and more fundamental than the Father's justice. We see that here. And absolutely more primary than the justice of man. So I highly encourage you, if there is something you are holding on to, ask yourself the format in which you have repented. Ask yourself the format in which you have repented. You may know that God has forgiven you, but have you forgiven yourself yet? Or are you too afraid to risk a relationship or reputation over something? I want to encourage you to seek counsel and seek help, and we will get this worked out. And you just put Maybe, maybe you're just one conversation away from experiencing this John 8 moment. Maybe you're just one conversation away from experiencing real freedom and healing. Number three, the last reason I believe we rob ourselves from this experience is we lose sight of our imperfections. We lose sight of our sin in the areas which we need to hand over to God. So with that said, I, I want to just preface this by saying that the destiny of each believer is to become more like Christ. Do we agree with that? The destiny of each believer is to become more like Christ, to be conformed more and more like Christ. And we have to stop thinking that I'm just the sinner and he's the savior and I'll never be more like Christ than I am today. We have to get rid of that mindset because the testimony of the scripture is to become more like Christ. So what you should expect out of your walk with the Lord and your walk with Jesus is that from 10 years down the road, in 10 years down the road, you should be more like him then than you are today. Like that's what we should expect. And although we are absolutely sinners saved by grace, that can, be almost, that can almost become a false identity on people. Um, that the idea is that I am the sinner That's what I do, and when I do that, I am being true to my role. I'm being true to my role in this relationship, in this exchange, and so no one ever really expresses it this way, but we live it out like this. God, I'm the sinner. I'll do my job. You forgive sins. You'll do your job. And oftentimes, that's how we participate in our relationship with the Lord, and it's like, what do you, it's like, what do you really expect there? 
That's what I do. I'm the sinner. And grace does more than just forgive us, but it actually empowers us to be more like Christ and be shaped and discipled into something deeper in the reflection of Christ. That's what grace does is it empowers us. So we cannot become paralyzed by our false identity of just being a bunch of sinners. We're more than that. We're more than that. So our goal as believers is to become more like Christ. So with that said, oftentimes in this process, we become very convincing at times that we are invincible. We become very convincing at times that we are, we are invincible. And we can easily persuade ourselves in our pursuit of Christ-likeness that we need no correction, we need no accountability, we need no conviction, and we need no humility. And we ignore our own sins. We ignore our own symptoms of sin in our life. Well, we do that because it's not our identity anymore, right? It's not our identity anymore. We're no longer just this sinner saved by grace. I'm set free. I'm a new creation. And yes, you are. But also in this process, as we move forward in Christ, we are continuing to find new things to lay down at the feet of Jesus. We're finding new little things little things inside of our DNA, new little things inside of our, our, um, our, our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with our friends, our relationship with our family, things that we need to lay down at the feet of Jesus. And we cannot pretend that forgiveness and repentance is only reserved for the rookie Christian. It's not. It's not. Believe me, I'm quick to move on and forgive, and let's get to rebuilding. If you know me, that's how I like to do things. If you come to me, we're gonna move. We're gonna come up with a plan to get moving again real quick. That's the way I think that the Lord wants things to be done in the process of healing. But I also know from experience the dangers that come from not allowing God to change you and grow in you, just because sometimes we call our we we. we some, God sometimes calls us to repentance and we sometimes just ignore him that we think that that doesn't affect your identity or your confidence and who you really are and who he really is. I think our role as believers is to constantly be saying, Lord, investigate my life. Lord, look inside my heart, search my heart, point out things inside of me that need to change so I become more like you and that continues to move forward. But you can't do that with an arrogant heart and an arrogant attitude of, well, I don't really have anything there, so good luck finding it. Let's not rob ourselves from this experience. Let's allow Jesus to do that in our lives. So I want everyone, and I encourage everyone this week, to meditate on John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. To get your Bible out this week, to read it, and to meditate on that. And to ask yourself if you have, if you have experienced the Lord in this way. If you have experienced Christ in this way, if so, which I'm sure all of us have, if so, how long has it been? How long has it been? How long since you've asked the Holy Spirit to expose some things in you? Not because you're a terrible person, not because you have so many issues and the list is long, but just as we move forward and transform into Christ, just say, Lord, what is it? What is it that I need to repent of? What is it that I need to grow into? What is it that you need to lay at your feet and just move on in my life with? What is that thing? 
So have you allowed the meekness and the kindness of Jesus to set you free and set you on a, on a better course for righteousness? I think it's really important here. Jesus didn't grab the woman and flee from the stone throwers. He didn't. Jesus didn't grab the woman and flee from the stone throwers. The love of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, the truth, the meekness, and gentleness of Jesus allowed for those men to drop the stone. So ask yourself, who's holding the stone against you? Because in my life, more often than not, I'm holding the stone against me. And I'm the one robbing myself from this experience with the Lord. So give your space. Give yourself some space. Give yourself some grace. Give yourself some time and some conversations with somebody to experience this moment with Jesus.